So we are gonna get started in the Christmas series uh, entitled Jesus dot, dot, dot. Uh, the dot, dot, dots um, are evidently really popular. I just don't like to, to um, text or, or, uh, or create a Facebook post without the dot, dot, dot. We've got four of them, four dots up there. I'm not sure what that means, but um, does, does anybody really know the full meaning of what that means when you put dot, dot, dot? For me, it's just like a lingering thought of, hmm, and then I come back and I add something else. But let me just share with you a little bit of why, um, how I got to this very creative Christmas season ser- sermon series title. Um, it, really, it really was birthed out of some deep convictions, some wrestling that I've been doing for a number of years, probably since the first year I had a, a child of my own at Christmas. Um, as, uh, as a Christian couple, Hallie and I have wrestled through how we are going to celebrate Christmas and, um, and, and filled with a lot of the disdain and convictions that a lot of you have. Um, in the world today and the way the world celebrates Christmas and not really sure how to navigate that with family members and, and in-laws and making sure we don't offend and, and yet we present the gospel to our kids at Christmas. And so, you know, I, I'll admit early on, I was just really brash about it and just really harsh, like people can just get over it. This is how we're gonna do it. And, and Hallie was the, she was the one who brought some temperament uh, to the conversation saying, listen, we need to be uh, honorable and respectful of other parents. At the same time, we need to think hard about how to communicate our convictions in a way um, that's helpful. And so I've been wrestling through that for several years. And this year, as I got ready for the, the, the Christmas series, heavy on my heart was this competition between Jesus and Santa. And, uh, and so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about the jolly man. Um, however, um, just a lot of conviction there about that wrestling match that takes place every December uh, between Jesus and Santa. And, and wasn't really sure um, how to go about it. And so my first response was to go hard and heavy and show you from the scripture with these really long sermons just how amazing Jesus is and how there should be no one on earth who rivals who he is. And in the midst of preparing for this series, God spoke to me in, I believe, a very real and subtle way and just said, is, is, is Jesus, like, why do you have to add to Jesus to make him that cool? Like, Jesus alone is enough. And, and so I came up with this Jesus dot, 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 like, that's enough. I, I don't need to add anything else to it. And so really the thrust of this series will be um, very simple in the way it's organized. We're going to be looking at these names and declarations of who Jesus is from the gospel writers. Today, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 is where we're going to start. And uh, we'll make it about a phrase in, and then we'll come back on first Wednesday, this coming Wednesday night's first Wednesday. Sermon series will continue. We'll be looking at Jesus, the son of David, and what that means. Come back next Sunday to Jesus, the son of Abraham. And we'll just continue with these declarations and descriptions and names and phrases this Christmas season to see how much is really packed into uh, these beautiful introductions and proclamations of Jesus, dot, dot, dot. You don't need to tell me how creative I am. I just know it. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 1. This is the, such a significant place in your Bible, okay? Not in such a way that it trumps other places, but, but there, there should be some things that happen in your soul if you're a believer in Jesus at Matthew 1, 1. This is the opening of the New Testament, okay? Um, it is the introduction of um, the one uh, who claimed to be and whom the New Testament claims to be the fulfillment of everything you've read so far, Okay? So all the way up to Matthew 1.1, you're getting this, this kind of uh, ramping up, this, this get ready, here he comes spiel from all the way back to Genesis and creation, the fall, um, through the law and through the prophets. We're getting this expectation that some, something is coming and then something begins to become a someone 
and we get these real beautiful descriptions of the someone, how we would recognize him. And so Matthew 1.1 is the answer to that equation. Here he is, this long-awaited one, this one who you began to call the Messiah in Greek, which, which gets kind of translated into Christ. That's what the word means. Here he is. So we're going to start with the opening phrase of the New Testament, Matthew 1. It's the gospel of Matthew. Matthew was a Hebrew, very Jewish in his writing and thinking, and and very, very um, knowledgeable of the scriptures in the Old Testament. If you read the gospel, you're going to learn a lot about the Old Testament, just because Matthew knew a lot about it. Um, He he begins, really, the opening chapter by stepping like back into the Old Testament before he introduces Jesus fully. I don't know if you've read Matthew 1, this genealogy. Jesus is the son of David, the son of Abraham. Then he begins with Abraham and kind of walks through this lineage. It's like Matthew's saying, I'm getting ready to tell you about somebody, but before I do, let me step back in the Old Testament for a second and fast forward. Now here he is. And so we could really spend a lot of time today in the Old Testament looking at the significance of how Matthew starts. We're going to save that for next year. One of the main things we're going to be doing next year in the sermon series throughout the year is is, uh, looking at Jesus from the Old Testament going forward. And so I'm going to save a lot of that. Um, However, there's some, some really significant things I want to see here. First of all, just the opening phrase, the book of the genealogy. Like, I don't know if you know how significant that phrase is in Scripture, um, but in Genesis, uh, that's, a, that's the way the, the Bible really opens. You get some, some, some kind of uh, some preface and some introduction and creation, and then in Genesis 2, this is the, gen- this is the genealogy generation of the heavens and the earth. And then in Genesis 5, we get the generations, the genealogy of Adam, and there's this kind of beautiful declaration uh, that this is going to be the story that I'm going to tell. And it kind of gets confusing because he's, he's heavy on genealogies. Um, you notice that? Matthew 1 is heavy on genealogies. It's kind of like so-and-so, we got so-and-so, we got so-and-so, we got so-and-so. I don't know if you've ever gone back and tried to figure out that. Um, but you're going to find that there's actually some skips in the, in the lineage there. That it's not a perfect 14-generation gap. And so really what we understand is that First of all, this, this phrase, this opening, here's the genealogy, it's literally, here's the story of. And, and in that implies the genealogies and, and all that comes with that, but the, the, the genealogy of the heavens and the earth is not how heaven and earth gave birth to little heavens and earth. Like it's not just, right, it's just not just passing on generation to generation, it's the story of. And so literally, that's where Matthew begins. I'm going to tell you the story of Jesus. And then he begins with these begots, so-and-so begot, so-and-so begot, so-and-so begot, so-and-so, okay? So we're not going to read through all of those, but there's some, there's some uniqueness to what Matthew does, um, especially if you consider that he says this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, which we're going to land in just a moment, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This idea of being the son of seems to be really important to Abraham, because in like the next 15, 14 verses, like 39 times he uses this word that translates fathered. So-and-so fathered, so-and-so fathered, so-and-so. Until you get to Joseph, and then he doesn't use that phrase anymore. Joseph doesn't father Jesus. And so he's after something here. He's after uh, bringing into full life uh, this understanding of where Jesus came from so that we could better understand who Jesus is. So this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. If you go back to, this is very interesting to me. I didn't know this until I was really just buried in the word this week. Studying the genealogies, I did. It was just boring work. But I noticed some things. Like I remember back in Genesis 1, God says, hey, let's create man in our image. Male and female will make them. And man and, man and woman was created in the image of God. And so I remember those, those wordings 
And, uh, and then I go back to Genesis 5, and, and then I read this where uh, Moses writes, this is the book of the generations of Adam. Okay, sounds very familiar, nothing really all that profound. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. I went, oh yeah, that's right, he did, just a few chapters ago. Genesis 5, Genesis 1, created man in the image of God. However, look at what happens. Verse 2, male and female, he created them and blessed them. And named them man when they were created. Sounds very familiar. Then verse 3. When Adam lived 130 years, he fathered a son. Makes us think about what Matthew's writing, right? So-and-so fathered, so-and-so fathered, so-and-so. Fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Now whose image was Adam created in? God's. And then he gave, Adam gave birth to a son and son carried on that image, that likeness of Adam, and so when you see these lists of genealogies, you're seeing this transfer of likeness of God, image of God from generation to generation. In Ephesians 4, Apostle Paul brings it up again, we'll, we'll spend a lot of time here, just, just, just one little quick reference here in, in verse 24, he says, and put on your new self, he's talking about taking off the old self, now put on your new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So here's why I think that's incredibly significant for you and I in this discussion. Um, it, there has been a lot of theological debate, controversy, division even over this idea of Jesus being fully God, fully man. Um, it separates um, uh, would-be Christianity from not-quite Christianity. Um, there's even a place in, in mainstream Christianity history where the doctrine itself was being disputed and discussed. Was he really fully God, fully man? And so we have a hard time imagining that, don't we? You know, by, the, by the way we try to imagine what God looks like, yeah, we, we're trying to imagine God kind of unzipping the fabric of time, stepping onto earth, and he chooses to do it looking like a man. And we, I think the reason we struggle with that is because we forget that we were actually created in his image. And it's not that far off that God put on the man suit and came here to earth. And we're going to see more of that as we, as we move forward. But I think that, that Matthew is laboring to, to show us two things about Jesus. Yes, he has a human lineage here. He, he has genetics and DNA. However... Don't be mistaken, this Jesus is the son of the living God. Fully man and fully God. You might say it this way, fully man and no less God. Now, I wanna talk for just a minute about names, the significance of a name. Um, I, I think that we uh, are in a current culture here as Americans at least. I know other cultures around the world do a better job than we do sometimes. Um, motivations for coming up with names today is, is just really interesting. There's, like, there's a really heavy influence in being trendy, um, like spelling things differently, because we've kind of run out of really cool names, so it's like, well, let's just spell it with a Y instead of an I, or whatever it is. And so like, that seems to take a lot of precedence in our naming, um, but there's some things we can't get away from. So you have first names, which is just kind of an intimate, you know, you may be Brian, B-R-Y-A-N, you may be B-R-I-A-N, that's your first name. However, uh, middle names, Okay, uh, serve more than just the purpose of discipline, right? My wife, has a, she has a cute middle name. I love using it, and it, and it kind of irritates her, but her middle name's Joe. I mean, Hallie Joe. Isn't that just a cute name, Hallie Joe? So I use it when I'm flirting with her. Um, I won't show you what that looks like in here. So, like, but the middle name, what I've noticed is kind of reserved for a couple different things. It's either the name you couldn't agree on, and so it just gets stuck there. Like, I want to name our, our last son Knox, and, how, and Hallie thought, you just know what you can call a baby Knox. And so Knox got bumped to the middle name. It's Calvin Knox. Okay, so like that's the place you put the name that gets vetoed. Or it's the place you stick the family name that's just not cool enough anymore. 
which is my case. I'm Jason Lewis. Now, I'm not, if your name is Lewis, I'm not trying to offend you, but let's just be honest. It's not that popular of a name anymore, uh, unless it makes some kind of resurgence. It's kind of an old-fashioned name, Lewis. And my granddad was named Lewis. It was his first name. But if you go back to him, he had a middle name that was just incredibly unpopular, Elbert. You may have an Elbert in your family. So like his parents, when they named him, were like, let's give him something trendy and cool. Let's call him Lewis. Let's take that old-fashioned family name, stick it in the middle, Elbert. And I don't think he liked either one of them. He went by L.E., L.E. Savage his whole life, as long as I knew him, L.E. Savage. But that's where I got my middle name. Now, my last name, though, comes from my dad's side. So there's, there's some significance there I can't get away from as much as I, as I may want to try sometimes, right? So that last name bears a lot of significance in our culture. Now, um, I, I, God bless my mom. I was given one of the most boring names ever, I think. Um, the name Jason, if you, if you study names in, um, in American history, um, is just to just show you kind of the way I've, I think about things. It's kind of boring. Um, so, like, my name, like, there's just so many of us. Um, like, even at this church, there are so many Jasons. So I went back and I looked it up, and from 1973 to 1982, in that 10-year that span there, uh, Jason was among the top five names uh, for boys in the United States. That's why there were so many of us in that kind of age gap, like, yeah, upper 30s down to lower 30s. There's a lot of us right in there. But then what happens is it trails off quickly. So it was just this trendy name that we were given. Um, it was in the top five. Now, in all times, it's like the top 24th name uh, given to men. Here's some things I didn't know. Um, that Jason is also, it ranks number um, 2,562nd among girls. I didn't know there were any girls with the name Jason out there. Uh, evidently, in, in American records, been over 2,400 girls named Jason. Do you, do you know any girls that are named Jason? Like, that would be cool, but like, my name is just super boring. Um, over over um, 800,000 of us. Let me just show you, okay, if you think I'm exaggerating, just on the stage this morning. Okay, there were three of us. Now, it gets trickier than that. So here I am, Jason Lewis Williams. The guy leading worship, his name is Jason Scott Lewis. So between the two of us, we share two names. Okay, hang on. Then you got a guy over here playing bass. Guess what his name is? Jason Lewis Martin. Now, now tell me I don't have like a boring name. And I got Williams tagged onto the end of it. So like... Yeah, so like I use my middle name just to make sure the bank knows who I am. And it's just, uh, so when I think about the significance, I envy some of you guys who have these incredibly significant names that mean something. And they weren't just trendy names that your parents threw out there that were here today and gone tomorrow. And all that's a lead into the names of Jesus. Was that a good intro into the significance of Jesus? Okay, good. All right. So what I want to do now is I'm going to talk about a few of the names of Jesus um, and, uh, and hopefully help enlighten some of us on, on, on the names that he's, he's referred to and called. We're not going to hit them all today. We'll be picking these up. Um, he's obviously referred to Jesus, okay? That's his, that's his street name. That's his common name. It's the name his parents gave him. When they would call him in for chores, they'd say, Jesus, right? He wasn't called Jesus Christ, you know? Like, it's not Joseph going, Jesus Christ, get in here. I'm going to spank you. You know, it wasn't like his middle name. His name is Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, uh, maybe more formal, but that was his name, Jesus. Now, that name alone is incredibly significant. Uh, the name comes from an Old Testament or Hebrew rendering of Joshua, uh, which is literally translates, like, or it transliterates Yeshua or Yeoshua. Okay, and so when you see the word Jesus in Greek, it, 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 you would translate it this way. Um, 
God save us or God saves. And so the Old Testament Yeshua literally meant God himself saves. Now that's, that's incredibly significant. Like we tend to use the verbiage God sent his son, which he did, in such a way that it's almost like God sent someone else on his behalf, right? And we don't fully absorb the idea that God came himself in the flesh at Christmas. God doesn't just send salvation, he is salvation. And all that's wrapped up in that simple name, Jesus. Now we get to the Christ, which is where we'll um, we'll hone in today. We're, we're, we're getting a, a Greek rendering of an Old Testament um, Messiah, this idea of this one, this anointed one who would come. And, uh, and so the anointed one then in the New Testament gets, gets transferred into or translated into the Christ. And so anytime you see that in the New Testament, what that author is saying to you, this is the Messiah of the Old Testament. That's what that word means. Every time you see it, not a middle name, not anything other than that, this is the one. So Matthew opens his gospel that way. Here's the story of Jesus, and it's almost like he just can't wait for the punchline. By the way, he's the one. Now, son of David, son of Abraham, let me back up into the Old Testament and show you how he's the one, but just know this up front. He is the one. Now, there are a lot of prophetic names that that get um, poured out to Jesus. We'll hit some of them next week. Um, This uh, Emmanuel God with us, um, it's beautiful, it comes uh, from the prophet Isaiah talking about Jesus coming in the lineage of David, so we'll get to that next week. Gets confusing, what was his name? Was it Emmanuel, was it Jesus, was it Christ, what was it? Okay, his common name was Jesus. His, his, um, his understanding, his identity was he was the Christ, Jesus the Christ among those who believed, okay? But then prophetically, he had these beautiful proclamations, and so here's what I'm beginning to see. The name isn't as much what he was called, as much as it was who he actually is. Now that's gonna lead us into this next conversation where the scripture begins to tell us, um, counsel us, you could go back to Exodus 20 um, on how to handle the name of God. Like we're supposed to handle just the name of God very delicately and very accurately. You know that, right? It's not just about not using his name as a cuss word. Yeah, just don't use my name in vain. You understand what vanity is, right? With less value, happenstance, you know, just, just throwing it around. Uh, yeah, yeah, and it implies all the other phrases we tend to stick it in with, right? But the idea is that we would handle very delicately the name of God. And so every week as we get into this series, we're gonna see these gospel writers very delicately handing us these names, saying this is the baby. This is who he is. So Matthew says, here's who he is. He is Jesus the Christ. Um, we'll look for just a second. A couple of New Testament references to who Jesus is. And, uh, and so you can turn with me if you want. You can read it on the screen or you can write it down in your uh, worship guide or Bible and go later. I'll give you time to turn. We're just going to flip to three. Um, so I'm going to go to Philippians for just a minute. In Philippians 2 just going to read 6 and 7, um, this instruction on who Jesus is. So this is this beautiful um, description from Paul of the humanity of Christ and also his deity. And in verse 6, he says, who, talking about Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, interesting, 
He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Verse seven, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. There's that phrase again. Okay, and so this is how uh, Paul is gonna describe Jesus being born, God being born in the flesh. He, he was no less God. He was fully man. You could continue reading uh, verse eight. I don't think Robbie has these loaded, but, but we can read along. Uh, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him, look at this, the name that is above every name. How quickly we read over that phrase. Like, the majesty of God doesn't begin with his powerful works. It begins with the uttering of his name. He was given a name above every name. And look how powerful the name is of Jesus Verse 10, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, oh, to the glory of the Father. We need to let that soak in. This this, this, this beautiful, wonderful one, this, this Jesus baby that was born in a manger and, and how quickly we pass over his names. And Paul would say, before you pass over his names, don't even pass over the significance of his precious name. That it, just the speaking of it, men are brought to their knees. Now, begin to think about how you celebrate Christmas. And this verse right here. In, uh, in Ephesians, Paul writes something similar, but with just different words. In chapter 1, uh, 20 through 23, he says, um, this is how the power of God was displayed. The power of God was displayed by this. He worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Okay, it's this idea that um, not that God fully exerted his power in Christ, like that's all he could do, but it's this idea that, that God kind of flexed. He displayed how powerful he was when he raised Jesus from the dead. I love that passage. We won't get bogged down in that. Okay, so, um, so when he was raised, God's displaying his power, and then he raised him from the dead. He seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above rule and authority and power and dominion, above every, what? Name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the age to come. I just want, are we prepared to make the declaration of his name together in eternity? Like just mentally and, and spiritually, are we prepared like to say his name together in unison in eternity? Like what a powerful moment that's gonna be. This name to whom all knees shall bow. Just one last little reference from Hebrews 1. I'll probably come back to this next week. I'm just going to read 3 through 5. Um, he, this is Jesus, okay? This is again about his humanity, his divinity, all in one. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint. Wow, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, or at the right hand of the majesty on high. Verse four, having become 
as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And here's why. Like here's, the, here's the punch of it. Here's, here's what's so significant about his name, which everyone you are using at that moment. Here's what it is. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you're my son? That's, that's the power of his name. When you speak of him, you're speaking of the Son of God. When you speak to him and you use his name, when you sing to him, Jesus, you're singing unto the Son of God. Author of Hebrews says, here's why his name is so powerful. Who else on earth, including the angels, did God ever call his son? Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Now, I began with, with this opening about deep convictions about um, Christmas and this wrestling match between, between Jesus and Santa, okay? And now, um, I'm not going to place my convictions on you as a family. You've got to wrestle that out. But here's what I've come to. I have to answer before God on how I present Jesus to my kids, okay? And that's where I'm going to land today. And, and you do as well, okay? And so, um, so like, and here, don't misunderstand me. Like, I'm not... I'm not like, uh, like upset about, I don't, I don't mind all the decorations and all the fun stuff about Christmas. It's not all what I'm saying, okay? Here, here's the problem I have. We say that he's the reason for the season, right? Y- yet you struggle to actually see him in our season. Let's just be honest about it, right? We say it's not about the gifts. What's the climax of your Christmas experience? Like when does it begin to go, shh? after the gifts are opened. Like that's the climax of our Christmas experience, isn't it? Not the, the service before Christmas where we talk about baby Jesus, like, like that's on the way up. It doesn't climax for us. Like, What's the climax of your Christmas decorations? Isn't it a tree? And then what's the climax of the tree? The, the gifts underneath. And so like I'm, I'm okay with all that stuff as long as Jesus isn't the sideshow. Okay, that's, that's the conviction. I'm okay with however you choose to celebrate and, and utilize the, the, um, the, the pieces of the holiday that you love and you embrace. But here's, here's just my deep problem with, with us and the way we celebrate. We say these things. He's the reason, yada, yada. We, we, don't, we don't really do that. Can you imagine if this Christmas season, everything was stripped away except for the birth of Christ? Now think about all that you're looking forward to. Apple cider, hot mochas, um, all the family traditions, the meals, the things y'all do, the, whatever y'all have, traditions you have on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, seeing family, all the things that you hold dear concerning Christmas. If all of it was stripped away, here's the question I have for you today. Would Jesus be enough? That's a fair question. Like, I'm good with, the, with all the shroud of things we do around Christmas that are fun. I really am. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not a bah humbug. I'm hanging the rest of my Christmas lights this afternoon, okay? Um, I'm not that guy. However, I'm just not good with Jesus being the sideshow. And so if everything were stripped away, I wonder if we would look forward to Christmas with the same level of expectation. You know, we get that fuzzy, warm feeling when we think about Christmas, which... I don't know how they do it everywhere else. I think it's Texas's, like it's our opportunity just to pretend like we're living in Colorado for a few weeks, I guess, because it's like all the evergreens and the pine trees and the snow and 
Like that to me is just like, oh, but if all that were stripped away, and all we had were the manger and the baby born and the declaration of who he is, would we be as excited? Would there be as much expectation in the air with our children? Take away the gifts. Would the expectation still be there? I think it's a fair question. And so that's, that's where I'm wrestling this morning as a dad. I, you know, oh, we gotta, we got to wade through it just like you do. What we say when we say, oh, I'll do. I'm not going to, I'm trying to go too far and all that. But like at the end of the day, I have to answer to, 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 to what I did with the name that is above all names. And he doesn't belong in the wrestling ring with that other guy. Right? Like there should be no comparison there. I've got to be cautious how I present the rest of the stuff so that Jesus maintains, retains preeminence. That at the end of the day, when you ask our boys, what is Christmas about? Though they may answer with all the other stuff, the first answer is Jesus. The name above all names. God being born to our world. I want to end with you, end uh, this with just going back to Matthew 1 for just a second in verse 16. I mentioned this briefly, but look at 16. So, so Matthew is, with this opening phrase, he's saying... Sonship is important, father to son, passing on this likeness, this image, all this stuff is really important. Then when he gets to verse 16, he changes his wording when he gets to Jesus. So in verse 16, he doesn't say Joseph begot or Joseph fathered Jesus. In verse 16, he says, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Uh, we could go along further. I, I don't know if you know this or not, but the trials of Jesus hinged over this declaration. Matthew 26, before the, the Jewish uh, Sanhedrin, they're trying to, to, to prove him guilty through false witnesses. They can't do it. So finally they bring up, he called himself the Christ, the Son of God. And that's the, that's the only time Jesus really speaks up in his trial when he's asked, do you, is, it, is this true? What you say is true. Very next chapter, 27, uh, before Pilate. This, when he's talking, he's described this one who is called the Christ. Like that seems to be the, the big hang-up phrase of the trials of Jesus. This declaration from the beginning of Matthew is ironically the thing that leads him to his death on the cross. And then when the temple uh, curtain is torn from top to bottom, the declaration of the soldier is what? Surely this man was the son of God. There's a, a kind of a, a pinnacle in Matthew's gospel. It's in 16 when he pulls the disciples aside and says, okay, who do the people say that I am? You guys know where I'm going with this, right? Who, who do the people? Well, some say you're this prophet. Some say you're this prophet. And, and he goes, okay, the real question, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. This is who Matthew is introducing to us. This is the baby of whom we celebrate at Christmas. No, he wasn't born on December 25th. Um, just seems to be the time we do it. Man, as the church, why can't we be? I mean, if anybody should be promoting the Christmas story, it should be us. If anybody's children aren't confused, it should be ours, right? 
And so I leave you with those thoughts today. And so what I want to do is I'm going to, in just a second, um, roll to the testimony of Braxton Lewis um, to see that the faith of a child as he makes this same declaration, I believe Jesus is the son of the living God. And after that, the worship team is going to lead us in a response. If anything, my hope for you as a family is that you leave here with your spouse thinking, you know what, we just need to have a conversation. We just need to be very intentional about how we approach Christmas this year. We don't have to do it like the Williamses do it. That's fine. But be intentional. Be delicate with this name that is above every other name. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to watch the testimony of Braxton Lewis.